0: Hello and welcome to InsureTech Insider episode 124. I'm John Bean. In today's episode, we're going to talk about designing and building for trust and transparency in insurance. Join us while we take a look at how important design is in insurance, how things currently stand today, and how big of a role trust and transparency play in creating a good relationship with your customer. Join us while we take a deep dive into this super interesting topic. As always, I'm not alone, but joined by a panel of amazing guests. First up, I'm joined by my co host Nigel Walsh, Managing Director of Insurance at Google. How are we today, Nigel? I'm fantastic. Thank you very
1: much. Delighted to be back on as always. And looking forward to the discussion.
0: Yeah, it should be a good one today. And as always, fantastic to have you with me. Next up, we're joined by Jacqueline Legrand, CEO and co founder of MapTics. Uh, how are we doing today, Jacqueline? And can you give our listeners a little bit more information about yourself?
2: Sure. So I'm doing very well. Thank you. I actually started my professional journey in technology with IBM in France. And uh, I joined the insurance industry over two decades ago by coincidence, like a lot of people. And I have been working in the dark side in the brokerage uh, part of the industry in Paris, in New York, in Portugal in Brazil. And uh, until the end of 2018, I was leading one of the major global network of independent brokers, BrokersLink. And in 2019, I left the brokerage industry to dedicate my time to Maptics, an InsurTech I co-founded in 2016. And I thought I would leverage my expertise and network to develop further the solution and the business.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, congratulations. I saw you're in insuretech top 100. So yeah, huge congratulations and huge success so far. Um, I'd just like to say there's no dark side of insurance. uh, But it's great to have uh, your wealth of global experience. Join us on today's call. And finally, we are joined by one of our very own Elevens, uh, Ali McManus, Lead Designer at 11FS Ventures. How are you doing today, Ali? And can our listeners get a little bit more about yourself?
3: Yeah, of course, John. Nice to be here. Um, So I am part of the Ventures team at 11FS, helping to design new um, exciting propositions, both in the fintech and the insurtech space. So it's lovely to be here. It's my debut today.
0: Well
1: we'll, well, we'll go gentle. Well, I won't. I'll go gentle. Definitely I'm not, not sure how gentle Ni- Nigel will be. <laughs> if you can survive InsurTech Insider, you can probably survive FinTech Insider. How's that? And I'd stay well
0: clear of blockchain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, fantastic to have everyone
0: with us. Let's get started. So first of all, let's look at where we are today. So I'm going to start with you, Nigel. How important is design in the context of insurance and
1: InsurTech? I think it's a bigger question, to be honest, in terms of how important is, how important is design in general, we have to make life as easy as possible, or as friction free as possible, if we expect people to use things, whether it's a product, or a service. And dare we say, dare we go back to our, our good analogy from Steve Jobs himself, where he talks about it just works. And when you've got a a phone coming out of a box whether it's apple or google or samsung or whoever else things just need to work and they need to be intuitive so i think it's hugely important Um, i'll give you two examples our phone that we spend anything between four and 12 hours a day on comes out of the box with zero manuals and everything is practically intuitive yet our car that we get in and drive which of course is more complicated used to come with a manual that is two to three inches thick or multiple different books and different collections of stuff that I'm not gonna embarrass anyone on, on uh, on the show now, but I'm assuming none of us have actually ever, ever looked at unless there was a warning light on the dash and we had to go and find out what the hell it meant. So it wasn't necessarily intuitive. So to me, design and the intuition of making things simple is hugely important in everything that we do. And when we turn that back to insurance, That means the acquisition of the product that we want, the understanding of what we want. And then, of course, when it actually comes to claiming, is that also intuitive? So it's not just about the acquisition, it's also about every single step of the way as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to add. It's got to go down the whole, across the whole value chain. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you were to score where we are today out of 10, where where, where do you think we are in terms of that design element for InsurTech or
1: insurance in general? Out of 10, I would actually say for the happy path would probably be a seven or eight. And I think digital insurance in Europe specifically has come leaps and bounds for us to be able to engage and acquire a standard, let's call it a retail policy for home or auto, we're used to price comparison sites. I bought my first US-based policy through Lemonade a few months back when I moved. And that experience buying through the app and the chatbot was just brilliant. I had a couple of clarifications afterwards that were less brilliant. So if we're talking about Happy Path, I'd say we're about eight or nine. Um, as I said... We've bubbed we've bu- we've a point already. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling upbeat and happy, right? But it, to, to buy it, it was great. I guess the real question comes when you, when you then come to use it or you need to make a, a midterm adjustment or something else.
0: No, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that's really good. point. I think Happy Path, a lot of people have focused on that sales side and it's the servicing where we're lagging behind all the claims, which is so important and we'll get on to that. Um, Jacqueline, you know, as a, as a starter of a new company or as InsurTech, how have you made your proposition stand out? Has design been incredibly important? Or, or is what has led to you having to hand a standout proposition?
2: So it was the main focus from the very beginning it has to be intuitive and have a good performance to ensure fast adoption. Because like you said, Nigel, it has to work, right? So it has really to be both intuitive and work well, have a good flow. And what we did for Maptix, because like a lot of insurtech, we are introducing a new product, a new service. So we want to align in the user experience to something that our audience knows on other tools they use day in, day out. Like a Word or an Excel, which are flat applications where you can do everything from one single screen. And we thought it was very important. Sorry, Nigel, we also use Google products and Google Maps, actually, for the visualization bit in Maptics. But I think it's important that our users are in some kind of comfort zone. So the tool you build have to somewhat uh, have similar user experience to the tool they know and they use.
0: And is that then, Jacqueline, is that to reduce... The cognitive load, I guess, that that new that upskilling. Because I guess for new products, new services, you're trying to minimize that, especially with an insurance or financial services.
2: Absolutely. And like Nigel was saying, nobody reads user manuals these days. So it has to be intuitive, full stop. Otherwise, people are not going to use it. And especially younger people. We are all, in the 21st century, we are all becoming fast readers.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. Ali, as a, as a lead designer, you know this is something you breathe day in, day out. What are the most important factors to consider when designing and building products and services?
3: I think one of the, the most important is uh, is really understanding like the reality of the customer relationship that you have, right? Like, so if any commoditized product that has a wide range of things, um, it's incredibly nuanced in terms of the the kind of offerings. Um, So we've talked about it before some things uh, when it comes to insurance, some are grudge purchases, some can be genuinely emotive purchases like pet insurance. So the most important thing to consider when when designing and building insurance products is always about what are those specific Emotive responses that people have to the products or services that are looking to ensure and making sure that those jobs are solved in those areas And that the problems that need solving are being taken care of in terms of their relationship with those
0: products So effectively, how can we remove friction from that
1: process? There's another thing in here as well though, and I go back to the Aviva ad That said get a quote, not a quiz and it's quite a few years old now, but I still love it and it's one of my most annoying questions that we all get in our insurance for buying a retail policy, which is you go through the question set of which there are many and we all give out about how many there are. Can we reduce it? But one of the questions is, what type of lock have you got? So Ali, what type type of lock have you got on, on the apartment or the house that you're in?
3: I have absolutely no idea.
1: And when was it created and does it conform to BSI blur? We don't know. I mean, we there's there's asking questions and there's asking questions that we either have no clue about or we're not qualified to answer, which puts us in a negative position. And in the, same, in the same ilk, if I walk into a store or wherever and they don't take Apple Pay or contactless, I don't normally carry my cards, um, I often walk out. And whilst I'm saying, whilst I'm talking about experience, that for me is about design because they haven't, they've designed that the restaurant or the store will give you the thing I want but I can't then check out in the way that is most suitable for me. So I'm making decisions based on my ease of use or the experience that they designed end to end. And I think the end to end pieces there is really important.
0: Yeah, I I I mean, like you, I have no idea what lock. I mean, thankfully I've noticed most of them have started putting images. So when you're filling it in, you can actually click an image as to what type of lock you have. But there's lots more questions, you know, What's the building made of concrete or brick i mean I'm in a rented property i've got no idea what lives under the paintwork, so I do think there is an element of of making it simple and frictionless um and you know there's always the trade off between what the Undo's writers want in terms of the volume of data versus what the customer experience is in terms of asking the minimum amount of questions. So we talked about friction and obviously Nigel with your question in terms of trying to remove friction. Um, what other things do we need? A lot of the time we talk about trust and insurance and and transparency breeds trust. Do you think transparency is equally important? <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah you're you're completely right i don't think it's it's just about creating it and making it completely um frictionless i think in order to solve that trust issue that insurance has there needs to be um a level of transparency there as well but people also need to be able to see the benefit of anything that they're helping to provide and the insurance companies on their side and the insure tax need to be able to provide clear benefit with that and i think when you do that, you start to create a little bit more trust within it. So if we look at, um, for example, some of the more behavior-based ones, um, so sort of the, the telematics in, in cars that have been around for you know, best part of decades now, you can start to understand how your behaviors and how the way you drive actually starts to affect your policy. And that creates a better experience because it's kind of widening that that value that you have from that. and that can be useful for both the, the customers and the, the insurance companies.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and Jacqueline, is that something that you've built into what you've done at MyAptech? Is that is that something that you've looked at in terms of how do we make it frictionless? How do we make it transparent?
2: So, yes, I mean, to echo what has been said, uh, insurance has been, and it's still a painful journey in a way, because it starts with this questionnaire that is asking an awful lot of questions, and because people don't understand why these questions are asked, or it looks like the insurer is suspicious because they ask you so many questions, so trust is lost when you don't understand and you feel you are not, uh, they're asking this question because maybe you could lie, or it's kind of coming more from a legal standpoint rather than a business standpoint. So it's intimidating, it's upsetting, and then you get the policy. And because of the lingo, like dwelling, who understands what is dwelling, right, and other stuff? So you don't understand, it's upsetting, it's intimidating. Uh, They should use more strict vocabulary so they wouldn't have like 10 pages of definitions in the first place, right? And then you don't have many touch points with your insurer unless you have the claim. And then you have the claim, and in many cases, for some reason, uh, people are unhappy because the claim is denied, there is a deductible, and they discover the, the, the really uh, some more aspect of the policy at the time. And oftentimes, we get this huge fraud problem because people are pushed because they are afraid not to get what they, are, they think they are entitled to, so they have a tendency to exaggerate, and oftentimes pushed by some individual in the chain. Right? And because we know it happens, so the whole dynamic today, because people don't understand the insurance dynamic and the mutualization of risk and. What are insurers doing? And at the end of the day, insurers are very important to society. Insurance is very important. And insurer knows that insurers don't understand, so they are suspicious and ask all these questions. So we have killed the trust for decades. And,
0: it, and, and that goes both ways, I think, because you know the, the insurer doesn't trust the customer because they think, as, to your point, everything will be exaggerated... Um, and elevated and the insurer uh, and the customer doesn't trust the insurer because they feel that they will be tricked if I give more data or you know I, I'm I'm more accurate then in some way you that you'll use that information against me to up my premium um, whether it be a new business or as we found I mean maybe different now in the UK certainly but you will use it to up my renewal premium um, when it comes around and I and I think that's the worst thing is you know This whole value, we talk a lot about value exchange, um, and this whole value exchange, it doesn't have an underlying trust because every time data is shared, it feels like it's going to be used in a negative way. And I always go back to the telematics example. You know, telematics, as we've said this a few times, been around for 20, 30 years. And ultimately, it's the better product. It's more accurate data. It's got a more reflection on whether you're, you know, how you drive. And everybody really is over or underinsured. I mean, it's it's hardly rare that you're bang in the middle or just right. But products that allow you to be just right and give that data flow, a data exchange, people don't trust. I mean, young drivers have it. The moment they're old enough, they get rid of it. And they go back typically to a standard product. So I, I do think as an industry, we've got to get a better value exchange and build trust into the products and services. And maybe that is friction. Maybe that is transparency. I mean, any others, Nigel? That that you think
1: we're tackling? Well, you 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 are tackling a lifetime of understanding to the average consumer or average individual, because I think Jacqueline mentioned about what do we expect we get versus what we actually get. And I give you a recent example. I was asked to look at something for a travel insurance claim where someone purchased specific travel, cruise, platinum COVID, all the right language at the top to say, no matter what happens, we've got you. And the claim was denied once they, once they contracted COVID on board and were stuck in a, uh, in a cabin. And I'm looking at all the wording that the languages on the outset and then the policy declinations. And I'm like, well, that, it almost, again, it, it didn't do anything to reestablish trust if you look at the marketing language, and you look at then the why things were why things were declined against the average individual, and I, I don't know how to solve that just yet. I haven't worked out. Do we just need to have better expectations? And then the flip side is also true. You look at other insurers. We've we've you know people's reputations supersede them. Chubb is a great example of someone that has a brilliant. Um, claims conversation about how they look after the customers on the commercial side. NFU Mutual, the same. They just pay for all legal and valid and other claims, and, 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 and that, that reputation holds true everywhere. And I think how we build that back in is into the end-to-end design, as we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I think where for a product insurance where claims is ultimately the product, the fact that a lot of organisations still outsource their claims when it, that is the moment to shine, that is where you can win lifetime value um, or win that customer for for life, and yet it's pushed away, it's moved aside because it's almost post acquisition.
1: So sorry, very quickly, your, your comment about lifetime lifetime value is actually interesting because one thing I've observed across. U.S. versus U.K. The U.K., and maybe Jacqueline, you give us your, your impression from other areas in Europe, but the U.K. seems to be fickle and change regularly based on price, yet my colleagues and friends here in, in New York don't change ever, it feels like. The 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 churn rate is significantly lower. Jacqueline, I don't know about you. Have you got the similar sort of experience?
2: So I've been living in the States for over 20 years. I agree with you. Uh, because there are so many comparators in UK and France, and especially for auto, for car insurance, uh, people tend to change, it's true, often time, just for, just for the price at the end of the day, because it's so impossible to compare two policies, right? It's impossible. Uh, so, Because there is no standard in the way two homeowners or two uh, auto policies are presented. And that's one of the ideas I had. I think if there, was, there were some kind of standard in the way like very common coverage is presented, it would be easier for the consumer to compare and to understand. What is complicated today, it's part of the problem, and I really think the insurance should join forces to rewrite the, the, the typical policy so there is some kind of standard presentation. So people can really understand better, you know, they get used to the way an auto policy is presented, a homeowner policy, because today as a broker, when I had to compare two policies, you can't. It's impossible, right? So I think it's really important that the industry, they know, Uh, I don't know if they enjoy that, but I think... It's critical, and the insurtech companies are really simplifying and trying to write for the customer rather than for the lawyers. And that's, that's very important. And everybody will benefit from that. It's impossible to understand the policy, and then imagine you have a health policy. I have a daughter, and she's a young doctor, and she had to choose at her company, the health insurance. She couldn't understand whatever. Like she asked me, what is a deductible as compared to a copay as compared to a co-insurance? Because all three are combined typically in health insurance. How can you understand that? So I think the, the industry will really benefit to use straight language, to have a standard presentation so people can get around
1: we end up back at education every time john i I, i'm struggling with i actually posted something online today that um kenya is one of the first african countries um, to announce coding as part of the curriculum we're going way off track here but as part of the curriculum but the point here to to jacqueline's point is that everyone will have the same baseline understanding and has a good level of hey copay part pay full pay, et cetera, as you go forward, right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's talk of, you know, should you bring financial education to the education system? Um, you know, because it is a bit of a black hole at times. Um, I mean, I, know, I don't know if people know the Boring Money Company. I mean, that they do a great job on education, but I think yeah, we always come back to, I, I do think there is something with insurance where either we've got to go back to plain English, to your point, Jacqueline, or there's gotta be some upfront education. And and I don't think that's just up to the insurance industry to bring that in. I, I think it needs to be done across the whole financial sector and probably the sooner the better, even from a school age. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be back very shortly to continue this conversation.
2: Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS.
0: That's why we created our 11FS Explores series. Weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around. Such as... on OnRampy Buy Now Pay Later The Cost of Living ESG Stable Points Telematics Insurance And Inclusive Design Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now.
1: Uh, Welcome back. Let's get on with the show. So the next part, we're going to look at a little bit at the future. Uh, So crystal balls at the ready, folks. Um, Ali, let's start with you. What do you think our biggest opportunity for growth is here? I think
3: looking at how some of the uh, insure techs have started to disrupt some of the incumbents over the years, you're starting to look at them take a a bigger slice of that overall journey um, of kind of anyone's interaction with Say, let's, let's take for example, um, you know, kind of pet insurance that we touched on earlier, but if you can then sort of own bigger parts of that journey at the beginning, what kind of pet do you want? Help them along the way, help tap into a lot of that emotive value. And then also, I think we've talked before about this idea of being sort of more concierge than, than um, compensation and helping to offer tips and enablement and be a bit more proactive in helping the relationship. As insurance help enable that that relationship between whatever it is you're insuring and and the person who has the policy,
0: I think you make a really good point there, Ali. Because, you know, for the years working and trying to sort of uh, working with insurance and trying to sort of digitise insurance, many times I've asked, how do you increase the number of customer touch points? And you mentioned it earlier, Jacqueline. It's you know, it's very small in insurance. It could be when you buy. It could be for a claim. It could be just at your renewal. Um, And it's always asked, well, how do we improve this? And I think. There has to be a reason, you know, I do I necessarily want a relationship with my insurer? Not really. Unless to your point, Ali, that there, there is something I get back. So, you know, it works very well in commercial, if you're doing risk prevention, if you're helping mitigate risk, if you're helping bring the cost of your insurance policy down. And I think it's the same in, in retail as well. You know, if I'm going to have a relationship with you, let's make it a relationship where, you know we can both benefit you know i i can i could give you more of my customer service i can give you more information and share more data from all those reasons we talked about earlier um but in exchange i want a value exchange. i want a way that can either a guarantee that i've got a promise to be paid so you know you've got more accurate data and you pay me when the worst happens or you'll look after me and, and the second point is you know I, I want you to lower that premium or make it as easy as possible, as frictionless as possible. So you don't have to keep asking the questions. And over time, my premium gets less and less and less. And I think if you can get a much fairer value exchange, then I'll have a relationship with you. If not, let's keep it purely transactional. And I'm happy with that.
1: But but interestingly, you've gone down the price point. So you're going down almost the price comparison, rather than to Jacqueline's point about policy comparison note, You know, it's not necessarily an apples for apples comparison when you get to some of these things, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, Jacqueline, what about you? What's your take on how we? What does the future hold, and how do we how do we focus on growth going forward?
2: So I think technology is like the opportunity because twofold: one, it will help to get more efficiency within the industry, and two. It will help to the mass customization. What, it will help to really go to be more customer centric, as we should be from the beginning. And what do the w- what do we need now? So we have emerging risks. So we see parametric insurance thanks to technology to bridge some gaps. It's great. We see micro insurance. And then we could imagine for the new economy, like the gig economy, or the nomads, workers, the freelancers. Imagine product just geared for these people. It's a huge opportunity, right? What do they need first? Health. Everybody will need health. We have aging population. Health will be huge. But I work myself with freelancers for a number of things. So these young people, they will look at something around health. So maybe insured like a few belongings they have, maybe some travel insurance because they work from different places. maybe they have a pet. So imagine some kind of package that would be geared to specific type of customer. Then the questionnaire can be much shorter because you know already who you are talking to. And hopefully with metaverse and all that, like the banking does, you should have an idea about your customer beforehand, right? So you avoid asking like 90% of the stupid questions you don't need. And then you can have a wording and a product that corresponds just to what they need. So I think in general, there are opportunities in certain type of coverage and certain type of activities that carry a huge opportunity for growth.
1: I, I like that. And actually, one of the things that's constantly stuck in my head is the Liberty Mutual Ads out here. And actually they have a really good phrase of Jack, and you'll you'll know this, which is only pay for what you need. And they let you configure or customize your policy for your specific requirements. And I think that's where you're going almost in terms of personalization of making sure I don't overpay or become overinsured, like you said, John, or or undersured, but pay for the things that you need. I I guess it goes back to, let's not go into the education debate, because we always end up there. But it's almost a case of, Ali, how do you influence the right level of information through the design process? And I guess there's two things here. One is the, the level of information that we give someone maybe that's one for you, and maybe, John, then one for you, is how do you balance that between the guidance world, how do we guide you through the process so you're telling us the information, and advice, which are two very different things. One's, you know, an advised versus non-advised sale. They're very different spaces. So, Ali, let's start with you. What, what do you. How do you balance the, hey, did you know all these things? And by the way, there's 400 pages of T's and C's versus making it simple.
3: I think it's about providing genuinely useful context into, so if you're asking for a certain bit of information, why are we asking for that little bit of information and what effect does it then have on the policy that's there? And that is kind of, without wanting to jump into the, the education question, is part of the education. You know, people starting to understand why things are important, why things matter, and how they manage to affect their policy, their cover. or. I guess is why things might be important at
1: any point. If I build on that very quickly before John jumps in on the on the regulation side, is there anything here around people like me? And I often use the persona based selling approach because I think it says actually, people like me, to Jacqueline's point, freelancers, gig workers, individuals, small business owners, restaurant owners, it's kind of the default space, right? It's almost how do we, how do we, generate trust by things like, oh, people like you in these scenarios, providing these things are true, is that is that a good way of doing things? Or uh, uh, is that too generic? Um, it
3: certainly can be. I think if you've got a, a strong enough data set to make that accurate and be able to you know, pull some of the data that you've got on an existing customer base or demographic, then it can help focus the mind when going through those things. But it can also help build a little bit more of a personalized experience to that as well, which can help you win. Um, and. I think when we talk about trust, a lot of uh, the reason that people don't trust it is because it feels so transactional and that maybe historically, anecdotally, from my perspective, insurance companies absolutely don't care about me. If they start to surface some of the things that I already know about myself, that might make them seem a little bit more human and bring it a little bit more around to, okay, well, maybe we can trust these people because they sound like they're not out to get me, they understand me and they want to give me a good deal.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And then John, back to the question around Advice versus guidance—obviously a very careful balance here—and I'll come back to Jacqueline if I may as we branch out of personal into almost commercial and broker to see how we do things differently there. But John, what's your take on the advice versus guidance balance here to to, to manage this?
0: Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting point. I, I I think there's two there's two parts to this. I think the first is, and it's maybe not advice. It's maybe where do you want a human interaction? Where do you want a helping hand? Um, and the first is what what Ali mentioned in terms of, I think it's contextual. So I might actually want to speak to somebody in a moment of distress. So making a claim, I'm, I'm at the worst day of my life, it might be, I don't want to necessarily do anything online. I want to speak to somebody quickly because I'm having a, a terrible time versus actually buying something simple online. So I, th- I think content, we talk about context a lot. It, it's got to be contextual and designing for those moments within a journey because there's, there's different sort of peaks and troughs of where people are. I think the second point is in advice versus non-advice is what are you trying to sell? So if you're trying to sell a very, very simple product um, that could cost you, you know, 100, 200 pounds, I don't necessarily need advice. And if it's designed in the right way and it's simple and frictionless, I probably don't need any kind of advice. I can go through that flow. If I'm trying to buy a £2,000 policy or a £10,000 policy, that makes me nervous. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to go and buy that without speaking to somebody. And this is where I think then the advice starts to kick in. And, you know, people like Anorak have done this very well in terms of you start almost on a a self-service digital journey. And at any point you can click in and hop in to get advice. Um, and I think that's where you can start building out a model, I'm comfortable until I'm not. And at that point, I want somebody to step in, or I want to be guided through this. Um, and I, so I would design for context. And what is it? You know, how complex can this be? Can you actually fulfill that with a digital solution?
1: Well, it's a perfect segue to Jacqueline. And if I come back to the maybe circle back to some of your old world around the broker community, buying these things beautifully online through the digital world. How do we get this well, how do we balance the digital versus human and the, I, I hate the word omni, but the omni-channel experience between knowing when you can break out and get advice from a broker or otherwise, and what you can do by a self-service or digital and guiding people one way or the other. I mean, what's what's your take on that and what's the role for either providing the tools to the broker community or balancing the tools between the consumer end customer and the broker as we go forward here?
2: Yeah. So I think they will be always different type of clients uh, and behaviors and different type of policies. So as you go to simple coverage, simple packages, and a certain type of client, they like to buy online. And and with AI, you can guide the client. You can ask a few questions, what is important for you, this, that, and then... You can build something to guide, you would need that, you may need this, you may have this, have that, and you can guide them to build like the, the package they would like to have. Right? For instance, when we started for Mapt- with Maptics, we found a specific package on the Lloyd syndicates for the tech companies. And it was perfect because I was worried about having professional liability because we need to provide certificate of insurance in a number of cases. And then in the package, I had a choice. I could automatically get some commercial general liability, and I could get some workers comp, and I could get some uh, uh, contents you know, in the office we had in New York and the other office we had, and this and that. And I thought it was great, because I had all what I could need, and I could just choose. And only answer to the questions relative to what I was choosing. So back to your question, there will be that that we can do much better and faster with technology we have today. It's there. And then you will always have much more complex programme, complex industrial programmes where you will need to have a broker because that could not be something you buy online when you are buying for uh, hundreds of thousands and millions. But in the middle range, you will have both because some people want to speak to someone and have, like, in-person guidance and some others will love to have the computer guidance and buy in the middle of the night whatever
1: i think this the second audience here that we're excluding and we haven't talked about enough is actually the broker themselves how, how do we provide the best possible experiences to brokers so they ena- they enable them to do their jobs better rather than spending all their time in spreadsheets or documents and copying and pasting because actually the user experience for the people that provide the end touch point to the consumer or buyer is equally as important i think there's a huge opportunity to your point about this this middle area where we can actually enable them to do a better more efficient job and um focus on the things that are most important which is the end customer not doing all the the manual monotonous tasks of things that computers ai machine learning and so much more could actually do for them
2: yeah i fully agree i mean we we said there was a moment where broking was transactional. yet you get the best premium. Then we spoke about the trusted advisor. So the good broker would be the advisor. And now we are transitioning to the analytic broker.
0: Ultimately, you want to be the trusted advisor and the analytical broker. It's interesting how we yeah. kind of go through these phases over time. And we sort of try and rebrand or repurpose what they're there to do. But I, I agree. It's, it's trusted advisor. But the data should be there to support them, to your point, Nigel, rather than just something that is a a turnstile
1: of form-filling. Yeah, it's a fair fair shout. And then if I go back to one of the other points that we mentioned earlier, we've talked about engagement quite a few times. Ali, maybe one for you. How does frequency affect design? So if you're buying something once and leaving it for a year, you're not really going to remember that experience other than it might have been easy or it might have been clunky. But what if you never actually claim? You never actually get to understand what that claims experience might be or that claims flow. So how do we, how do we start to flip flip it around so the engagement becomes more frequent and the opportunity to, whether it's updates from maps or updates from uh, other third-party data sources that would give you new insight, they could dynamically change a price or give you a nudge along the journey. So it's not just a a fire and forget. It's actually more dynamic. And there's a monthly check in or touch point that says, hey, here's what's going on. Uh, have you got any perspectives, Ali, on how frequency changes some of these things?
3: Uh, yeah, I think um, the more frequent that you can have certainly useful insight, the more likely you are to have to have increased engagement. I think if there are things that have, have changed within uh, the context of a relationship that can be enacted upon, then again, the... again it's the education pieces what what can they do with this new information what can they can they act on it And i think when we look at um vitality as being one of the oldest ones it's like that again the enablement the betterment on the richness of a data or a change can then go on to affect uh, things further down the line so i think it has to be again within context and around how useful um any of those kind of changes or frequent things can be because otherwise if it's not got any useful or actionable things to it, then it's just kind of prodding at a point where there's not really a relationship there in the in the first place.
1: It reminds me, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, when I've sent the book to a bunch of friends. I'm reading Tony Fidel's new book called Build, and Tony Fidel was the the guy behind iPod and iPhone, and then Nest and sold Nest to to Google for $3.2 billion. And he talks about how when he was designing and building his house up in Lake Tahoe, and actually before that, that the thermostat in every hotel room or every house he went to was dumb. It was hard to use. You couldn't understand that you couldn't make it work. And of course the Nest thermostat is a beautiful, well-designed, super large display, really intuitive, really easy to use. Um, and I was thinking about, I was just reading the notes yesterday for the show. It's the same as me hiring a car. I've hired a car a number of weekends um out here and the one common factor that makes my car journey really easy is i get in and it's got android auto or it's got apple carplay and no matter what i'm doing i load up ways and i know where i'm off to and the user experience never mind where the dials and buttons and pedals are they're all consistent for for driving but my navigation experience how i get from airport or pickup point to my said destination is consistent, and actually that means by making that part of the journey easy, I've removed any requirement or worry about how big the car is other than fitting the four of us, um, or anything else at all. So actually, great design and interoperability, I guess in this instance, means that the actual thing I want to do is I want to make sure I hire a car that's got the ability to do CarPlay or Android Auto, and that makes my whole experience massively better going forward. Do you think as a result of that, because it's,
0: it's something you're used to. And so it gives you great comfort and great pleasure. Do you think it could work against new products and services with insurance? Cause you know, everybody's so used to the kind of the annualized policy, the 12 months, the renewal cycle. Now we're moving towards, you know, where people want to have more, you know, always on data embedded. Do you think it actually works against it now that we're asking people to think and operate differently? Or is that just something that's got to be taken into account with the design?
1: My take, and I was actually going to ask a similar question to, to the team before we close out. My take is it's just going to be incorporated. It's always evolving. And 10 years ago, we didn't have ways in the car. I remember when we all went out and bought, sat nav things we'd stick on, there was a huge spate of thefts from people stealing sat navs. Now they're everywhere. There's less thefts of such devices because they're just built into the, every car's got a display, which almost levels the playing field. So I think you've almost got to play catch up all the time and constantly be evolving. I guess the, the flip side of what I was going to ask before we, before we finish out was, is there a risk we can make this too simple sometimes? So we always talk about how we get to you know three questions and we talk about embedded insurance and all these good things, but if we make it too simple, do we actually therefore end up removing people's understanding? And as a net result, um, nev- it's almost, it can't be frictionless, but it can be, or it can't be friction free, but it can be friction reduced. So we always, we, there's some things that we do need to make sure people truly understand what they've got. Do you understand this is the deductible? Do you understand you're liable for these things? Do you understand that whilst these are the key facts, which I think the UK's done a really good job on, actually, well, if you read the key facts, it says one thing, but if you read the 46 pages that go behind it, you still might be declined on a claim. So is there a point at some, is there a, a way at some point, and maybe uh, Jacqueline, i start with you, is there a point somewhere that we make this too simple and actually do we need to just design in accordingly how we, how we balance that? It's a tricky one, I guess.
2: I think we need to make it more clear and precise. It could never be simple. Think about affinity insurance. How many millions of people have acquired with their phone or some other cheap insurance? It's a small ticket. They buy it. And it's very profitable because basically a lot of things are not covered, right? And a lot of affinity business has been based on that, like 20% loss ratio, very profitable insurance, because people didn't pay attention. They, They pay attention to the phone they were buying, but not really to the insurance. It was not expensive and so forth. So I think it would be very important for this industry to have some type of standard so that the must-read and the important things are on the top and they are understandable so you know what you are buying and what you are not buying. It should be possible. And then you can have the 40 pages terms of services like you have in uh, a lot of products and services today. But the problem with insurance is that a lot of important stuff are hidden, right? And if you read exclusions, and you have exclusion within exclusions. So you have to, you know, be very clear in your mind to try to understand at the end what is really excluded, the exception to the exclusion. The whole lingo, the whole organization is unclear. So it's complicated, but I'm sure there is a way for each type of courage to have the important stuff in one page clear, in straight language, and then the terms of service. Because right now, and in a standard format.
1: And that would reinstall trust, I think, as well, going forward. I think the UK does a good job with the key facts, uh, to, to be fair. But I think there's there's always more that can be done because we still just don't read it. We just have no desire to read these things. As a net result. We don't, you know, we've, we've all done it before. I'm guilty of it myself. We'll sign up to a new service online. We'll just scroll to the... End of the T's and C's hit except because we just want to use the service. We don't really mind what we've just signed up to. And there's been some great Easter eggs in some of those over the years saying if you've read this thing and you got to this course, here's five dollars or five pounds, whatever else, but we never see it because we don't read them. Ali, your perspective?
3: Uh, this is this is bigger than than sort of just um, insuretech tech or insurance in general. This is this is a, a golden one for designers basically. Um, it's kind of, there's an old saying that uh, anything sufficiently advanced technologically is indistinguishable from magic. So when we talk about that idea of those kind of, getting it down to three questions, the real problem is kind of whether we have that question about hiding the complexity when we let the technology have it, do we lose that ability to understand? Um, trying to make things simpler than they are is, is a bit of a fool's errand. Um, at some point, it just has to become about making that complexity more understandable. And that is that contextual information about why things are important that feeds into that education piece when it comes to things like insurance that are inherently complex. Um, you can't hide things under a super slick experience if they're going to come back and bite you later because there's a lack of understanding and poor education.
1: Yes, yeah, fair, John. Yeah, I think.
0: I, I mean, echoing what Jacqueline and Ali have said, I think one, no surprises. Uh, I think minimise surprises. I think, I think we've we've got to change the perception to be insurers are on your side. Now, whether that's through language, whether that's through action, whether that's through deed, there's got to be something whereby you feel like you're on the insurers on your side, and they're not going to trick you. And I think, you know, from a design point of view, it's what do we want customers to, to think, feel and do, you know, to the point of, if we're going to send the communication, what do we want them to do with that? What do we want them to think about that, um, as opposed to just here's documentation. So that's what I would say across across the whole thing, contextual, think, feel, and do, try and get them to change the perception to be on your side and no surprises.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll share two examples and then I'll hand back to you, John, before we before we close out. One example was a company I was working at years ago that they used um, the contracting process and, and the CFO said, why do you have to scroll to the end page of every contract, which was 30 or 40 pages, to work out if it was signed or not? So a simple switch to put the signed cover page at the front means that we can flick through every contract and work out, is it signed or not signed? And that to me was a great example of, of, of simplicity and design brought back into something that made life, made life easier for folks, uh, number one. Number two, I, start, I started with Jobs. So I'm going to finish with him. He often talked about um, adding things to a product or whatever else was really easy and making it more and more, do more and more things. Taking stuff out was the hard part. So actually, making things simple was the was the was the beauty and design for me there. And I think there's some great examples throughout the industry that we could we could bring to insurance for that. So with that, John, back to you.
0: Thank you very much, Nigel. It's been a great debate today, uh, and that wraps up today's discussion. So thank you ever so much for joining us, uh, Nigel. Where can people find out more about you and your company? <laughs>
1: Uh, me you'll find on twitter at nigel walsh
0: brilliant ali uh,
3: you'll find me on linkedin under ali mcmanus and if you want to get in touch with us here at 11fs um, just email
0: ali.mcmanus at 11fs.com thank you and jacqueline where can we find more about yourself
2: so in linkedin for sure and jacqueline.legrand at maptix.com if you come to In-Shirt Tech connect in vegas please stop at the maptix kiosk in the innovation area and if you happen to be in Annecy, the French Alps, it's my second work from home place. I'm here right now. And uh, every now and then.
0: I love Annecy, I've been there. Beautiful place, and I love Vegas for very different reasons. But um, <laughs> both fantastic locations. Uh, and you can find me uh, at John Bean uh, on LinkedIn, or you can find me here at Eleven FS. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I think it's been a very interesting debate, and and we could talk a lot more about this subject. But if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast, and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make the show better and helps others find us. As always, if you want to join the conversation. Find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Insure Tech Insider or find us on Twitter at Insiders or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks ever so much and goodbye.